And, and if, if you've been tracking with Solomon or you've been cr- tracking as we've been going through this, this book together, there, there's been a lot of like days like today when you walk outside, just kind of cloudy and, and rainy where he just says things like, it's better to be a living dog than it is to be a dead lion. It's like, okay, that's good. It's going to get me going today. Uh, or he just kind of looks out there and he's just like, I know you're alive, but this world's crooked and there's just some crooked things in this world that you wish would, you could make straight, but, but you'll never make them straight. There's just crooked things that are meant to be crooked. Now go live your life. It's like, okay. So he's been, he's been on this hunt for like just trying to figure out like what, what is the meaning of living life under the sun? What's the purpose that God has, has given to us? And I just share that with you because... We, we've come to a section where it's kind of like the sun shines. And he kind of he looks at some things. And, and it's a brighter day today. And so let me read this and then we'll pray and we'll jump into it. So chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. He says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that, Lord, your word always accomplishes its purposes. And we ask that it would accomplish its purposes in our lives this morning, that these verses would be used by you, empowered by your Spirit, to enable us to enjoy the life that you have given us to live in a crooked world, in a world that is not perfect, in a world that is not heaven, but a world that has fallen in many ways, where sin exists, where life doesn't always go the way we want it to go. Lord, help us to enjoy this life. Because, Lord, it's a life that you've given to us. And we get one of these. And so, Lord, may we, may we enjoy it for your glory. May we enjoy it because you, you command us to enjoy it. And you've created us to enjoy it. And so, Lord, in order for us to do this, we recognize we desperately need you. We need your spirit at work in us. We need you softening our hearts. We need you giving us convictions that would guide us, that would be sort of that, that motivation to get out there and enjoy the things you've given to us and to do it in such a way that, that Lord, it does honor you. It does bring great glory to your name. It does seek to further the advancement of the gospel as well. 
And so, Lord, please accomplish your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Nate, were we able to get that up? Excellent, excellent. Okay, so Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. I, I found this is just a portion, and I'm going to share kind of the, the background behind it. Anyways, it, the reason I'm going to do this, it kind of introduces and, and maybe gets your attention a minute because you're all looking at it right now, so it does accomplish what it needs to accomplish. But, but what he says in this is this. What the background is, Calvin the boy and Hobbes, his imaginary tiger friend, they, they find a baby raccoon that is barely alive. Calvin runs to get his mom and Hobbes says, I sure hope she can help. Calvin, as he is still running, yells back, of course she can. You don't get to be a mom if you can't fix everything just right. Isn't that true? When his mom gets there, however, she realizes that the baby raccoon is going to die. But she does what all good moms would do. She puts the baby raccoon in a box and takes care of it. Well, as the story goes, the baby raccoon dies and Calvin cries and cries. After they've buried the baby raccoon under the tree, Calvin says, I didn't even know he existed a few days ago. And now he's gone forever. It's like I found him for no reason. I had to say goodbye as soon as I said hello. And he goes on, and they're standing there as he's crying. Still, in a sad, awful, terrible way, he says, I'm happy I met him. And then we find him sitting there on this hill kind of thinking about all that had taken place, and he just says this. What a stupid world. What a stupid world. I think we all would agree with Calvin's assessment of this world at times, especially... When we find ourselves in situations like that or bumping up against the mysteries of God's sovereign plan that just don't seem to make sense to us in the moment. We know that God has created this world and we know that he holds this world in his hands, meaning he's at work in it all. He's sustaining it. He's caring for it. He's the all-powerful God that's making this thing work working it all together for the good of those who love him, working it all together for the good of the purposes that he's laid it out to be. We know that these things are to be true, but, but we don't always know the specifics of how all of these experiences of life sort of work their way out. Like why, why in a sense, find a raccoon and be able to sort of hang out with the raccoon for just a little bit, only to, to ha- have to say goodbye to the raccoon just a few minutes later as Calvin was experiencing. How, how is that good? Now we know it's being worked out for our good, and we know in general that this good means that God is at work in us, saving us, sanctifying us, and leading us home, and somehow things like that fit into that plan of God's so that when we get there, It's all accomplishing God's good purposes. It's just the specifics at times of trying to figure out, well, but but how? If you're anything like me, I want to know the how. I want to know, okay, how is this going to work out in my immediate future? And how is this, which seems to be maybe horrible experience, might work out later on in life? And a lot of times we, we don't necessarily get those specifics. 
A lot of times it all just feels stupid, like it did for Calvin. Solomon has been feeling this way too. If you've been reading this book at home or you've been following along as we've been preaching through this, you you know he's felt this, although he doesn't use the word stupid. Instead, he would say something, something like this. The world is, it's vanity. It's actually vanity of vanities. And sometimes that word vanity just means, it it just means short. And a lot of times it just means meaningless or a chasing after the wind. And that's kind of how he would describe life under the sun here apart from a right and real relationship with God. It's, It's vanity of vanities. It doesn't really always makes sense and it's hard to understand and it's perplexing and it feels like you're running and running after something and as soon as you feel like you've gotten it, it's gone. It's like a breath. It's just mist. It's there and it's just, it's just gone. Chasing the wind might not seem like too much fun, but what we're going to learn today in our text is that God has given us things in this life to actually enjoy, though. And he actually commands us to enjoy the life that he's given to us. And so, specifically, what we're going to learn is this. If God is always in control of all things, including life and death, then we should learn to enjoy the life that he's given to us. And again, I've said this a number of times, and this is why I, I love this letter, and I love coming to sections like this, is that one of the reasons we are in this book together is so that we can just kind of take a look at, okay, what what is life? What is this world God's called us to live in? And, And that's one of the aspects, and what's the purpose in it for us? But the other part of that is so that we could actually enjoy life, that we would smile a lot, that we would be happy with our good God who who's holding this thing together, who, who has our very lives in his hands. And you can read about that in the earlier section that we just went through last week. And so God, God wants us to actually be happy people. It doesn't mean we can't be sad at times or angry and grieve different things. It's, it's just overall, there, there's this life that he's given to us, that he's redeemed us to live by faith alone and Christ alone, that we would actually enjoy it. And not just a little bit of it, but that we would actually enjoy all of it. And that's why we read in different scriptures where it says, count it all joy when you meet various trials. And so he's not just saying, count it all joy when you win the lotto. Count it all joy when when it's Christmas time and you're getting what you want. Count it all joy on your wedding day. No, it's count it all joy when you meet various trials, in the good days and the bad days. And so Solomon's been, been after this, trying to help us to understand this. And this isn't the first time that he's actually addressed us in regards to finding joy in life. In chapter 2, verse 24, he wrote the following. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. And so again, he's just saying this, if you're going to live, you're going to eat, you're going to drink, you're going to work, enjoy it, because it's from God. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, I perceived that there is 
nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This, this is God's gift to man. Our enjoyment of life is God's gift to us. And that's all of life. And it's learning how to enjoy it because it's a gift that God gives to his people. In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given to him. So he's just saying, hey, hey, we have only a few days. It's, it's a short life. Some, some might get a longer life than others. Some, some will be really short. And he's just saying, it's a short life. Enjoy it. Because God's the one who's given it to you. And in chapter 8, he said this, verse 15, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So God hasn't created us to just kind of live this life with this sort of grin and and bear it sort of attitude. Like, it's just, it's just a crooked world. We don't really ever get what we want. And so we guard ourselves in such a way from, from setting up our expectations to be too high. And, and we don't want to be disappointed. And so we just kind of go through life sometimes. And, and we're just looking for the, the, the floor to fall out. You know what I'm talking about? And so we don't let ourselves be happy. Or we're not looking for ways to be excited about the things that God is doing in our lives and has called us to do. And so, so sometimes we can just sort of have that, like not very emotional attitude or, or even kind of give in to just being cynical. Just, just okay, this is good right now, but sooner or later, this goodness is going gonna, is gonna to end, right? So, so let's not be too excited about it. And that's not the way God's created us to be. He wants us to be happy people, happy people who are trusting him. Happy people who are believing in Christ, picking up a cross and following him in in a broken world. And so he's created us to be happy people, people who find joy in life. And to help us enjoy life, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three points from this text. As Solomon just kind of zeroes in on, on these three things as we seek to learn how to just enjoy the life God's given to us. And so in our first point, we learned that we are to enjoy eating and drinking. One, enjoy eating and drinking. Verse 7, he says, go, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. This command to go is not an all-encompassing command to us to Go and, and do whatever it is we want to do. He's, he's not saying that. It's not this sort of get out of jail free card. He's just saying, go do whatever it is you want to do. It's not, a, it's not a sort of command to go and sin all you want, but it is a command to enjoy all that God has given to us in ways that God has described for us to enjoy these things. Philip Ryken in his commentary said the following, 
He said, life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures, but godly pleasures. Or at least they ought to be. A merry heart has God's approval. It is part of his gracious will for our lives. The command to go in verse 7 here, it conveys this sense of urgency as well. One commentator said, it's kind of like a wake-up call. And so what he means by that is if you've been reading the section prior, he was talking a lot about death and how we've been given this one life, and death is a reality for all of us. It's, it's in our future because it's a reality. Not all of us are, are given a life that's guaranteed to be 100 years. We're, we're not guaranteed that. And so we just don't know when it's going to happen. And so it's kind of this... this not a downer, but it kind of felt like that in some ways. As he just says, take a look at death. It's better to be, and he said this, he said, it's better to be a living dog than it is to be a dead lion. And so, again, that's meant to encourage us. And so, so now what he does is he gives this wake-up call. And he says, okay, so you're not a dead lion, but you might be that living dog. And now you get this, go, wake up. Don't just sit there. And kind of wallow in your self-pity for the life you're currently living. That's kind of what's behind this word, word go here. It's, it's meant to be a wake-up call. It's meant to stir us from our stupor or to stir us from our discouragement. It's meant to stir us to get out there and enjoy what God has actually given to us. And so it's not a suggestion from God to go and, and find joy. It's, it's actually a command. We are commanded by God in his word to enjoy eating and drinking. We are commanded to find joy in this life. This is why it shouldn't surprise us to find other texts in the Bible that read like this. This is from Philippians 2.14. It says, do all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so we, Solomon says, go find joy. And then you read Paul saying, don't, don't live life grumbling and complaining about the life you have or the circumstances you find around you. Or in James chapter 1, where he, I've already shared this in the beginning, but he, he says it like this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We of all people in this world should be numbered among the happiest and most joyful people. We of all people in this world should know how to enjoy this world because we know the God who created this world. And we know his purposes and plans for this world as he's revealed it to us through his word. And we know our Savior, Jesus, whom God sent into this world to redeem us, to forgive us of all of our sins, to set us free from the power of sin, so that we're no longer enslaved to sin, so that we might live in this world for the glory of God and live it in such a way that God has created us to live it. And I would say when we live in the good of the way in which God has created us to live it, we'll enjoy it. Because he's created us 
to get up and go enjoy this thing that he calls life. Specifically here, he talks about eating and drinking. Now, we don't want to abuse these things. We don't want to give in to gluttony, nor do we want to give in to drunkenness. But we do want to receive what God has given to us with thanksgiving and joy. These things are gifts from God that he's given to us to sustain us, and they're for our good. Now, I'm not a person who loves food. I I try to. I I like eating. I just don't love food. I have friends that that love food. I have friends that, that pick out certain restaurants based upon what's there and they rate these things. And I have, I have friends who love to cook. They love to, to love to make different things. I don't cook. If I have to cook, and my kids will tell you this, when their mom leaves, it's Campbell's soup and peanut butter and jelly. So what I grew up on, so I'm very good at opening up a can, SpaghettiOs and meatballs. Like the kind you have to open the can. Again, you're going to pick up on something. That's just how I grew up. I grew up on processed food. I really enjoy it. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so I enjoy those things. But what's lost on me is when my friends want to go to these nice places, I, I, I don't appreciate it like they appreciate it. I appreciate it because they appreciate it. And so recently, one of my friends wanted to go try this $34 burger at some French restaurant. And so took me there. We went there. We bought this $34 burger, and it was a good burger. But you know what I did? I had to ask them for ketchup and ranch. I did. I didn't want to embarrass my friend, but that's just how I eat my burger. If you're going to give me a burger, I need to bathe it in ranch and ketchup. And there's other things I do to it, too. I want extra pickles on that thing. And if you can, I'm going to throw some fries on it. But in this place, I chose not to do it. I just asked for some ketchup and ranch. And they gave it to me. And it was a great burger. But do you know the burger, if I could have any burger in the entire world? You said, okay, you had one burger that you could have the rest of your life. You know what burger that is? It's the cheap burger you get at Burger King. Growing up, it was the dollar burger. Or maybe you could get two for a dollar. That's how old I am as I'm getting older. But here's how you eat that burger if you get it, okay? And this is, it's, a great, it's a great burger. You've got to order that and you say extra pickles because they, they'll skimp on the pickles if you don't ask for extra. And then you get a small fry and you take all those fries and you throw them on top of the burger and then you wrap it back up and you press on it. So it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that's been sitting in your bag all day at school and you sat on it. You know what I'm talking about? Those are my favorite. I love those things. And it's probably just because that's what I grew up on. But I'm not a big food person. I really just kind of like food because it, it, it helps me stay awake. It helps me, like, have energy and, and do certain things that God has called me to do. But, but God's called us to enjoy these things. And I'm grateful for friends that love food. I'm grateful for friends that are connoisseurs when it comes to alcohol in different ways with their wines and different things like that. Again, that's not me. I'm pretty just simple. But God's called us to grow in this area because he's called us to enjoy these things. And it doesn't mean we all have to enjoy them like my friends who like these $34 burgers, but, but we're still called to find great joy in eating and drinking for the glory of God because these are gifts that he's given to us. 
And in some ways, as you think about eating and drinking, it's sort of kind of like this, this principle of just, there are so many things in our life that we can just take for granted. Because we just, we just show up and they're there. But I think in some ways what this highlights is, is God just saying that all these little mundane things that we might be able to take for granted, we need to stop. And we just need to be grateful for these things. We need to learn to thank God for them and then find great joy in them. And it could be your Burger King burger. Or it could be your big $34 burger. Or it could be your steak. Or it could be whatever it is it could be. Or it could be your bottle of wine that you've been saving. Or whatever it is. The way God wants us to interact with these things is that we might find joy in them. And not take them for granted. Again, we don't abuse this stuff. But we find joy in it. We find joy in in having a meal together with our family. We don't take those things for granted. As somebody who's sort of getting ready to be one of those empty nesters, my wife and I talk a lot about this. We sit down and we have dinner together alone, probably more than we do with the whole family there these days. And I would say as somebody who's not who's recently getting into that season, it's easy to take it for granted. I just encourage you here as Solomon just sort of draws our attention to it is don't take it for granted. Find a reason to thank God for it. Find a reason to take great joy in the fact that God's providing food for you. He's providing life for you. Look around the table who you get to enjoy it with and rejoice in that. Eugene Peterson helped write uh, the Message Bible. He, he translated it this verse this way. He says, seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. I share that verse with you because it, it just it really helps to capture what this verse is getting at. God wants us to enjoy what He has given to us. If you eat and drink, enjoy it. In our second point, we learn that. He's also called for us to enjoy marriage. As a celebration of life continues for Solomon, he tells us in verse 8, Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So back in Solomon's day, white garments were people's sort of nice clothes. It's typically what was worn to nice events and celebrations. It would have been what they wore to dress up. Heroes would have worn white garments as they marched through the streets in their victory parades. Slaves would have worn white garments on the day that they gained their freedom to to celebrate their freedom. White is a great color that typically symbolizes purity and freedom. And so he's just drawing attention. He's just saying, wear your white garments. Solomon also tells us to never let oil be lacking on our heads, to Anoint someone with oil was to pour out some great-smelling perfume or cologne upon someone. And so he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's addressing the way they dress, and he's addressing the way they smell here. And so he's just saying, dress nice and smell great. Again, this was something done to mark and celebrate a big moment or an event in someone's life. So to dress nice and to smell good, it, it, it's a good thing. 
Think about it. When, when do you dress nice and when do you smell good? It's typically when you're going to something, you're going to be around others that you just want to celebrate with or you want to live life together with. It's what we typically do to prepare for a party, a nice night out with friends or a date with our spouse. Now, typically when I get done mowing lawns, me and my boys mow lawns, one of the first things my wife will tell me is, you need to shower. She does. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't, I don't typically smell good. I don't typically look good after mowing lawns in the heat of summer, especially after mowing people's lawns who have dogs and don't take care of them or don't pick up after them, if you know what I mean. Several times, several times. This just happens. It's part of mowing lawns. You know those green bags? I'm going to gross you out a little bit. Those green bags that people carry with them when they walk their dogs? Well, when we mow, we, I use the weed trimmer, and sometimes people like to not put them in the garbage can, but instead throw them into the weeds or the grass. And you know what happens when you hit that with a weed trimmer? It just explodes, and it typically covers the person who's using the weed trimmer. So please put your green bags in the garbage can. Anyways, I get home from this. I, I, don't smell, I don't smell nice. I don't look good. And so my wife would just say, you need to shower. And what she's saying is, I'm not coming near you when you look like that or you smell like that. Considering the interests of others, spouses really included here, means we take care of ourselves. Means part of enjoying life together, especially with our spouse. Solomon's getting after something. He's just saying, take care of yourself. Because if you're going to enjoy your wife, or I'm going, to, I'm going to use a little freedom here to include husbands in this as well. If we're going to enjoy our marriages to our spouse, Solomon is just, he's after something. He's just going to say, you might want to take care of yourself. You might want to shower once in a while. You might want to look good. You might want to act like you're celebrating something. And that something would be your marriage. And not just once in a while, but but a lot. And so he goes on to say this, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And so marriage is an amazing gift that God gives to a man and a woman. And anybody who's been married, I gotta be, I'm just going to, let's just say longer than a year. You know that this can be difficult sometimes. It's an amazing gift. It's an enjoyable gift. Marriage is also a difficult relationship sometimes. And that sometimes can, can be for a season if we're not careful. And so marriage is an amazing gift from God. It's also hard at times. But God here commands husbands and wives to enjoy one another, to find joy in this relationship, to work hard at finding joy in this relationship. Solomon tells us here that we are to enjoy life with our wife all the days of our vain lives that God has given to us here under the sun. Now, when he uses the word vain here, he's not talking about meaningless. He's using it in the, in the meaning of just short. And so if you're married... What he's saying is, is you have a short time together as husband and wife. Again, some might have longer than others, but we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so the way he's thinking about this is, hey, you're married and you're living this 
life together as husband and wife, and it's short, if you're going to do this thing called marriage, guess what? Enjoy it. Enjoy this gift. Work hard at enjoying this. When I officiate weddings, I I typically give a pastoral charge. And over the years, it kind of looks the same, but the, the last point has changed. So if you were to follow my first wedding to my last wedding, what you'd see is there's a shift. Point number three in the, the charts changed to this. And I talk about this a lot in counseling, and I talk about this a lot in, in the wedding as well, and, and it's that we would enjoy marriage. And so I charge new couples that, that you're getting married. This is a holy moment, and, and when you live life together for the rest of your life, enjoy this thing. Do not settle for less than what God has given to you. And what I mean by that is I use this illustration all the time. So imagine your marriage is this basketball court. Okay, these are the boundary lines that God's given to you, this black line that goes all the way around it. And so what I see take place, myself included at times, is we say, okay, God, this is, these are the boundary lines you've given to us. That, that's great. But over time, what we do is we shrink them down to maybe just the the lane here. And so instead of living in the good of all that God has given to us as husband and wife, we we decide to camp out in the paint. And we grow accustomed to just kind of doing the same things over and over again, thinking, okay, this is good. I like it here. And But what I would say is, okay, I'm, I'm glad you like it there. I'm glad you're content with what you have and what you realize. But do you understand that the boundary lines are actually a little bit bigger? Like you're free to be a husband and wife and live within this entire court and not just here. You're like, well, what do, what do you mean by that? I, I, what I mean by that is, is sometimes we, we limit ourselves in communication. We limit ourselves in the way we just do life together because we just think, oh, this is, this is just fun and, and this is what we're going to do. And, and over time, we just develop these well-worn sort of ruts and we just stay there. And we don't really challenge each other. Or we don't, we don't make the shift with one another when the season changes and, and people change and our communication stays the same because we just live in here, but God has been pressing hard on us to help us realize, no, I need you to talk like this. I need you to grow in leading. I need you to grow in following. And it looks like you're going to have to step out of the paint and enjoy what he's given to us. And so Solomon wants us to step out of the paint here. He wants us to enjoy this relationship as husbands and wives. And so I'm going to share some practical ways for us to do that. And I say us because all of us get there at some point. There's a reason we're all going through marriage book. There's a reason there's a marriage retreat coming up. It's not because we've planned something and see something. It's just the reality. Marriage is hard. Seasons change. And so there's nine things I want to share in regards to this, and they're quick. Number one is this. Enjoying your spouse... A way to learn to enjoy your spouse will be this. Pray for one another and pray with one another. It's a gift that God has given to us. It's part of our communication. It's a call upon a husband to lead his wife in this area. Let's grow in this. And I would say this. You do not grow. We do not grow apart from God and his grace in our lives. And so when we cry out to God for one another and with one another, what we're doing is declaring our absolute dependence upon God for our need of him to grow us. 
Number two, study your spouse. Any good marriage book is going to tell you to do this. Study your spouse. Pay close attention to one another. Really actually take time to listen to one another. Ask questions of one another. Do not assume, and I've made this mistake, been married, I guess, 25 years this September. Do not assume that your spouse still likes the things she used to like or he used to like 10 years ago. What I've learned, and I think what any married couple has learned, is that seasons change, interests change. God has created us to be men and women, people who grow. And that means we grow, we begin to think in a different way as his word informs how we should think about things. And so we need to study our spouse. We need to pay close attention to her or him. We need to pray and ask God to help us to study. And then to really take notice of the things we're seeing and the things we're learning and and make the changes necessary. Number three, give specific thanks to God for your spouse and regularly thank your spouse verbally. These are just so, they're sort of small things, but these would be like little indicators. Like when you look back and you say, I'm not really enjoying my spouse at the moment. I'm actually finding myself frustrated or annoyed. The thing I always go back to or I pay attention to is really in some ways is number three. How thankful to God are you for your spouse? Are you aware of things in their life that you can thank him for? And then do you actually communicate that to your spouse? Meaning when was the last time you just looked him in the eyes and just said, thanks for doing that? Or thank you for being this or that? Number four, identify evidences of grace. And encourage one another with these evidences of grace. Ephesians 4.29 just talks about no corrupting talk coming out of our mouths, but only such that is good for building up, that, that gives grace, that fits the occasion. I would say if you want to grow in enjoying your spouse, become really good at encouraging your spouse. Identifying just this is where God's at work and then communicating because what it does is it helps them see that they're not a loser and that you don't think that they're a loser and that you're not annoyed with them, but instead you're really amazed at God's grace in their life and you actually love them. Number five, embrace the roles that God has given to you as a husband and wife and seek to live in the good of these roles. Ephesians chapter five sort of lays out these roles. I would say where these roles are confused, I think joy at times will be hard to find. As we seek to honor God in the way in which he's called us to live out our lives and you're trying to to work hard at enjoying your spouse, as you're trying to work hard at enjoying this gift that God's given to you, he's also given us these roles as a means of accomplishing that. So husbands called to lead, provide, protect, and lay their lives down for their wives Wives called to honor, respect, help, and submit to their husband. When these roles are functioning, joy is typically present. Number six, spend time together as friends. This is just a no-brainer. It's really hard to enjoy anyone if you never spend time with them. If you just take somebody for granted, it's really, really hard to appreciate someone 
whom you don't see or are not invested with doing things together with. And, and sometimes we have to work hard at this, especially as kids grow and seasons of life change. You can walk through seasons where your friendship is really just based upon your sort of togetherness around raising your kids. And so what will typically happen where that's the case, that will show up when the kids leave. Because you're going to be left at the dining room table or the dinner table just alone, and you're not going to be able to say to your kid, how was your day? Instead, you've got to look at your spouse and say, how was your day? And you've got to learn to build. So part of enjoying our spouse is growing in our friendship, working hard and finding ways to just be together. Number seven, be romantic in your love for one another. Typically, every marriage is going to have a pursuer or a pursued in some way. And so they kind of work. You, get, you probably know who you are already in that category. And so one, I think it's good just to recognize that. But, but at the same time, God has given us this gift. And this is what makes marriage so unique. Your spouse has a unique relationship with you because you can do things with your spouse romantically and intimately that you can't do with anybody else. It's sin with everybody else. But with your spouse, it's a gift. And this gift gets neglected. It gets neglected for all sorts of reasons. If you want to enjoy your spouse, I'd say this. Do not neglect this gift. Pursuer, pursued, I'd say the pursuer do not give up on pursuing. Pursued, don't get comfortable with being pursued. Work together. Talk through these things. Your idea of romance might be your idea of romance, but this is why we study our spouse. And we ask questions and say, what do you think romance is? And if your spouse says, this is what I think romance is, guess what? Your idea of romance just got adjusted. Because it's called considering the interest of others. It's called outdoing one another and showing honor. That doesn't, that, those verses don't just apply to contexts like this. It actually applies to our marriage. And it applies to romance. And it applies to intimacy. We like to walk it out in these other areas, but it actually applies here too. It's a gift. Enjoy this gift. Do not give up on this gift. It is unique to your marriage. I'm laboring on this point because a lot of people give up on it. They do. They just give up on this. Nobody wants to live in a marriage like that. Nobody's going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I want my marriage to not be romantic or intimate. That, that just destroys marriages. Fight hard to enjoy this gift that God's given to you. I combine those for the sake of time. Number nine, encourage one another with the gospel. And this is so overlooked, so overlooked. Listen, the, the gospel is the power of God to save. It's the power of God to change. It brings hope. And so if you ever meet with me in counseling, this is one of the things I give everybody their first assignment. Share the gospel with your spouse every day until we meet again. And the reason for that is because we just assume the gospel. And by that I mean just this simple phrase where you just look Sarah in the eye and you say, Sarah, I want you to know that Christ died for you. And that you're forgiven. And the life you now live, you no longer live 
in the flesh, but you live by faith in what? The Son of God. And so we need to hear this good news. Your spouse needs to hear this good news because it motivates us to live the life God's called us to live. And when we live the life God's called us to live, guess what happens? We enjoy this life because it's being lived out the way God's created us to live it. If you're married, fight for joy. Fight to enjoy every single day with your spouse. In our third and final point, we learned this, and this is going to be quick because we've hit it a number of times. Verse 10, or enjoy work. Verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds you do, to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Whatever your hand finds to do, he says, work hard at it. If it's your nine to five, work hard at it. If it's in the home, work hard at it. If it's at school, work hard at it. If it's on the ball field, work hard at it. If it's setting up chairs, work hard at it. Whatever it is you're doing, work hard at it. Proverbs 12 verse 11 says this, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. There's some motivation here. Work. God's created us to work. And he says, when you work, when you work the land, you'll have plenty of bread. I don't know how much that is, but it's plenty. But if you're not working hard and you follow worthless things, he says, you just lack sense. And then Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And I would say this, this is the motivation behind all work. Whether you like what you're doing now or you don't like it, is that God's called us to work. And whatever that work may be for that moment, we work not just for a paycheck, although that's nice, but we work as unto the Lord. We work knowing that, that He sees everything we do. We know that, that our work honors and glorifies Him. We know that our work is what He's created us to do. There's this little phrase I learned years ago from someone I was reading or listening to, and he just said this, God always pays you for your work. And that just sticks in my mind because not everybody pays you for your work. Sometimes you do work and people stiff you. Sometimes you do work and you're underpaid. But again, we don't work for the paycheck, as Colossians tells us. We work for the Lord. And he always pays his people. Sometimes it shows up in a lesson. Sometimes it shows up 10 years later. But, but we trust in a sovereign God who has created us to work. And so if we're going to work, enjoy it. Enjoy every moment of it. Every single moment of what God has called you to do. Now, we might live in what seems, as Calvin would say, is a stupid world at times. But this is God's world. He created this. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's left some things that are crooked and they're meant to be crooked and they're meant to be frustrating to us because they're meant to show us we are not him. And we desperately need him. And we desperately need our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we seek to live out our lives for him and his glory, that we might enjoy this. There are good things in this world. A lot of good things. Let us be grateful to God. Let us be happy. 
Let us enjoy them for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this opportunity to gather together and ask that, Lord, you would strengthen our joy. Lord, you would help us to enjoy food. You would help us to enjoy the little things in life. You would help us as husbands and wives to enjoy this relationship you've given to us that's unique. And Lord, by your grace, would you enable us to enjoy working? That all of us would love working hard, whether it's setting up chairs, sitting behind a computer, working outside or inside, whatever it may be, in the home, Lord, whatever the work you call us to, Lord, enable us to find great joy in it all. Lord, for we want to enjoy it. And then help us to express it. Lord, and would you bless us as we leave here today? Fill us with your spirit and guide us in your will, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. May the Lord bless you. May you have a wonderful Sunday.